Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast, episode 88. It's your favorite data nerds back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine, Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hey, uh, hey Jordan. Hey, everyone. How's everything's going? I hope uh, everyone is doing well. 88 episodes. Can you believe it? We started this a couple of years ago, and it's... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of taken on a a life of its own, but it's good to be back because we have a some kind of shameless self promotion to do because we have two great events coming up at reimagine well I hope all of the the sessions are going to be really valuable and and beneficial but Oscar and I have two that we're especially excited about that we want to share we have new housing data that's fresh off the presses as Mm -hmm. we record this today we got the August sales and price numbers out there. And then we just want to talk about some of the bigger picture issues that we think are kind of hovering out there as we approach the end of the year. So we're going to talk a little bit about what the outlook is for foreclosures now that that forbearance program has ended, what these various tax proposals that are going around in Washington, D.C. might mean, and some various macroeconomic indicators, because I think that it's always good just to have that 30,000 foot view on those kind of broader currents that that force us around. But let's first get the marketing out of the way, because I think that <laughs> we, we have some really good stuff coming up at Reimagine. We have a whole big website. It's actually www.reimagineexpo.org. And that has, you know, the whole agenda, all the days stuff with, you know, and there's tons of great speakers and events and all kinds of good stuff. But, uh, we're we're doing a forecast and an econ panel and and right. Oscar tell them about the econ panel because that comes up first and and we have some really really good uh, economists and panelists joining us for that. Absolutely, you know we have a, an econ panel on October fifth uh, from two p.m. to two forty-five p.m. and you know it's a live the, thing. It's a live thing. It's a Zoom session, and you'll find some of those detailed informations on the REI uh, website. Uh, let me repeat it again. It's www.reimagineexpo.org. You know, if you go there, you can register. You can, uh, you know, find out all the sessions, including the econ panel sessions. During the econ panel sessions, we are going to talk about, of course, you know, economics as well as the housing market. We have at least two panelists right now, including, um, and then we have a moderator, um, you know, doing it. You know, either Jordan and I, or I will be there, or both of us will be there. Um, depending on, you know, the, uh, the, the, the uh, amount of content that we have. But uh, we're very excited to have, you know, this discussions because this is going to uh, give us some idea about, you know, a short term as well as the long term uh, perspective of, you know, the housing market. And exactly. then we're going to follow up with the, the forecast sessions on October 7th, 9 a.m. to 9.45 a.m. And I know Jordan has a little bit more detail. I'll let you let him fill you guys in. Yeah, we're going to roll out all the new numbers and what the expectations are for 2022 and kind of how that broader current is going to is going to drive the housing market and then how that's going to play out for us as as individual realtors. But, uh, you know, it's it's always good to get the fresh numbers out. And I'm kind of in the process of of, uh, you know, 
refreshing the story, shall we say, <laughs> and having a, a more kind of forward-looking uh, slant to the numbers that we've seen thus far. We're almost two full years now into the crisis. It's time to start thinking about what that post-COVID kind of housing market is going to look like. And I think that both this, this forecast event that's happening on the 7th, first thing in the morning at 9 a.m., and the econ panel, because again, you guys hear from, from Oscar and I all the time, and, and, and it's good to have those outside perspectives as well to, to kind of round things out and just make sure that we're taking a holistic view so that we can be best prepared for our business and to help our clients as we go into, into the next year. So, so that's what we have to kind of look forward to on the horizon. It's only two weeks away, basically at this point. So it's exciting, but, but you know, the, the, the good news, I guess, is that that we aren't going into it blind, right? Because we just had the August housing market report come out and, and it's kind of in some ways an, an I told you so month, right? We're starting to see materialize some of the stuff that we had been talking about back in spring when things were going really well. We said, don't, you know, let, let the the kind of enthusiasm get you get your head out of the game or get you to kind of take your foot off the accelerator because we saw a lot of headwinds we were seeing the buyer fatigue start to set in we were seeing that in our consumer sentiment the mortgage applications etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's now starting to show up a little bit just in terms of the pace of home sales because we 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 continue to kind of lose momentum from where we were at the end of last year Absolutely. And we have been preparing you guys. So there is definitely a benefit listening to the podcast. I mean, I'm going to tell Another you that. shameless plug. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and they are, you know, because we are not just looking at just the current moment. We usually give you some insights as to what's going to come up. And it's the same thing here this time. You know, we, if you look at some of the numbers uh, just released as of today, um, uh, September 16th, um, you see some numbers. You, if you are looking at the uh, the on a serial website, you'll see some numbers. I mean, in general, you know, the numbers are very, very solid still. I mean, yep. of course, compared to you know what um, you see last year. You know, last year, remember, second half of the year, we, it was very, very robust. So it's not a right. surprise. We are normalizing a little bit, but uh, the number actually dipped a little bit from last year. It's not a surprise. And just throwing some numbers out, you know, the sales number of existing single family home hit 414.860, which is the lowest level since, you know, in, in 14 months, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, going back to last summer. Going back to last summer. Uh, but again, you know, compared to the pre-pandemic level, we're still very, very solid. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's the thing to keep in mind, right? In the same way that we were preparing you for, you know, a kind of post 510,000 unit <laughs> uh, housing market back in the springtime, right? Uh, in the same way that we're seeing those forward-looking indicators that suggest we have nothing to, to panic about, right? That we're more going back to normal. I got a comment in one of my outreaches the other day, which was right on, there is no normal anymore, but normal in the sense that those kind of fundamental drivers of the housing market are going to take over. We're going to have an economy that's probably getting better, right? And an economic tide that is rising, a supply situation situation that may get a little bit better, but still for all intents and purposes going to stay, you know, pretty tight prices rising, et cetera, et cetera. Demand starting to look uh, more normal. And I think that, you know, when you look at, at that kind of forward-looking stuff, whether it's mortgage applications or weekly sales metrics, what mm. the realtors tell us when we talk to our, our California members in our weekly survey that, you know, yes, we we aren't going to go right back up to those 15-year highs that we had at the beginning of the year, 
But also, you know, we're, we're still doing pretty well by kind of pre-crisis levels. And in fact, we, we should probably, if you look at some of those other indicators, like mortgage applications, probably see sales falling off even more than, than they already are. And so, yes, we were down kind of 10% on a year-to-year basis, a little bit more than 10% on a year-to-year basis from where we were. But keep in mind, 415,000 uh, units, give or take, is, is still a pretty solid level of home sales by the standards of the previous decade, right? Pretty mm-hmm. much the whole time between 2010 and the, the kind of pre-coronavirus time frame was characterized by, you know, 400, maybe 420,000 unit years, right? And so, so even as we say that things are, are kind of um, normalizing, right, or going, you know, we're, we're not in that kind of uh, triage mode that we were in before, we're still, you know, got, got nothing to, to panic about. And that's why I still always hesitate to use the word cooling. I made sure to go through the, the press release this time around and make sure that we didn't have any references to cooling because <laughs> it's still pretty hot, right? Talk about some of these other numbers. The, the market isn't cool when you look at prices or, or some of these measures of competitiveness. Well, you know, before we, we talk about that, I want to say something in addition to what you just said. Hmm. It's, it's definitely not, you know, cooling in the sense of year-to-date number. If you look right. at the year-to-date number for the first seven months, we're still about 21%, 22% above last year's level. Yeah. So the market is still, still going to be pretty strong for the year compared to last year. Right. Now, some of the other indicators, as you said, you know, the market is definitely still, you know, quite hot. You know, when you take a look at price, for example, we right. set another new record high. Unbelievable. Um, Almost yeah, 830,000, 807s change. I know. And we, we, we talked about this before. Some of it could be due to, you know, higher sales and uh, more higher priced properties. Yeah. That's nothing to doubt because that's what we have been seeing. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it is uh, at a uh, pretty high level. And we also have talked about this. Most likely, you know, from this point on, we may not see another price that actually uh, uh, surpassed this number. About 830. That's pretty, you know, incredible. I think it's the sixth record price this year. So it's probably the sixth and final time that (laughs) we'll set a new record price for 2021. Um, Although, you know, like chances are prices will continue to go up at this rate in 2022. Although I don't want to spoil the forecast too much, but we're, we're still seeing also the growth in the high price areas. It's not just the high priced properties, right? And we did still see that 2 million and up is is kind of leading the show. But you mentioned the kind of 21% that were up mm-hmm. statewide year to date. I think it's even more than that uh, through the first eight months in the Bay Area, Southern California, Absolutely. the Central Coast. So, so it's, you know, we're selling a lot of expensive properties. We're also selling a lot of properties just in areas that tend to be uh, above average in terms of, in terms of price. Right. And so, yeah. And, and, you know, in the Bay area, I'm glad that you brought that up in the Bay area, you know, we, we tend to have, I think more workers that are inclined uh, that are capable of, or have the uh, employers are allowing them to do remote working right. a little bit. Yep. And so they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of where to buy. And that might actually uh, lead to a little bit more home sales, even though the area is a little bit more pricey. Um, now, at the same time, you know, the reason why we're seeing, you know, significant incre- increase in price is because of supply. Absolutely. We have, you know, even though, yes, uh, 
this month or next month in the next few months or so it's supposed to be the uh, sort of off traditional off season right we're supposed to see a little bit more inventory but hey with interest rate at such a low level it's still what a below three percent for the 30-year fixed rate yeah the same below 2.9 even it's crazy i know i know and so it has it has been pretty uh supply has been very very tight yeah. and uh we're looking at you know in terms of months of supply less than two months of supply yeah, still very, very tight out there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we see when we look at the number of new listings coming on to the to the MLS, we're we're seeing that now back to back months of decline. And I think part of that is COVID related, right? These right. Are, are backward looking numbers. So when you look at how many homes got put onto the MLSs in August, we have to keep in mind that that was when those public health numbers were really surging. We seem to have gotten a lid on those over the course of the last two weeks. They have even started to come down a little bit, and same on the hospitalization side, but that really does seem to have eaten into that momentum that we had started to build up when it came to new listings. The, the kind of flip side, though, of sales going down is that sales are actually going down um, you know, a little bit quicker than listings. So when you look at it from a, the standpoint of total actives, they're still relatively high by the standards of the last year and a half, right? So, so unsold inventory, our index measures sales and listings, but we had listings that were, you know, on an upswing while sales were coming down a little bit. So getting a little bit more into, into alignment there. And that's why even though it's, it's incredibly tough out there, there is still a little bit actually more opportunity, I think, for buyers out there, right? The unsold inventory index didn't move, but we are at our highest level of total actives, more or less, over the course mm -hmm. of the last two months that we've seen in a while. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that there's there's reason to kind of talk buyers back into the game, but it's still, it's, it's, it's really tough, right? Because on a year-to-year -year basis, they're still down. They're just not down by as much as, as they were a few months ago, right? I think 10%, yeah. the 10% decline on a year-to-year -year basis in active listings was the smallest that we've right. seen in a couple of years, right? It's still a decline, but just not a 30, a 40, a 50% decline the way that we were seeing before. Yeah, and, and at the same time, of course, you know, we started seeing decline, you know, uh, uh, during the pandemic and, you know, going into the second half of the year. So, you know, we expect a smaller decline you know, uh, uh, in the second half of this year. Right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, pre I still appreciate a smaller decline. And I agree with you also on the uh, the, the buyer's opportunity, too. I mean, yeah. we, can, we have been seeing from our surveys as well, some survey statistics showing that, yes, uh, buyers were experiencing uh, significant fat fatigue maybe two months ago. Yeah. They're still, they're experiencing similar uh, fatigue, but the number of people who are expressing, you know, uh, buyer's fatigue actually has gone down. So that's encouraging yeah. in that sense. Not as bad. And all of these things, that's why I say you hate to use the word normal. I wish we had a better, you know, <laughs> adjective for, for normal, right? But they're just things aren't as crazy as they were. And I think that's the the bottom line. Buyers are fatigued, but they're not as fatigued. We're still doing home sales. They're just 415,000, not 515,000, right? We still have active listings that are falling, but just by 10%, not 30%. And so, you know, it's, it's, you hate to use the word normal for a market like that, which is rising prices and not enough inventory and, you know, sales that are just kind of eking along at some, uh, you know, baseline level of about 400,000, but that's kind of where we're at. And it all goes back to just that underlying supply crisis. And it's nowhere more evident, I think, than when you look at, at you know, 
median home prices. And again, we already talked about the, the 827,000 and change. And, you know, some of that is, is because we, we are selling all those high priced properties, but you know, it's also, uh, you know, a, a kind of a real honest to goodness growth, but even there, you also see that the pace of growth has cooled, right? Prices are still going up, but by I think 20% change, how much do they go up in, in August, Oscar? Like 20, uh, they went up by about 17.4 uh, or something like that. Yeah, um, exactly. which is, you know, I think it's the first time in many months, I can't remember how many months, and the first time it's actually below, you know, 20%. I mean, I can't believe when we're talking on the podcast that 17% is actually a good <laughs> number and I mean, for affordability, but so and this is how we kind of triangulate in on on these kinds of things, right? Because there is no silver bullet when it comes to um, you know, what's happening in, in the market, but you kind of put all these pieces together and they, they start to tell a similar story, right? Prices doing the same thing. They were growing at 35 plus percent uh, a while ago. And we see that actually playing itself out in the competitiveness stats too, right? I think we went from over 70% closing right. above asking to 67% <laughs> closing above asking from seven days on market to nine days. So yeah, I mean, it's still hot. Well, I mean, that's why you said, you know, it's still heated. It's still a high number, but it's still, rel- I mean, everything is relative. You know, when you look at it from the standpoint of it's actually improving, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, hopefully it will continue to improve. I know it's it's tough for the buyers. And of course, it also have to come in from the seller side as well. We're hoping that more sellers will put their house up on the market. Yeah. Um, so increase supply a little bit more. Yeah. What about the the other source of potential supply, which folks talk about all the time? And I think it's it bears mentioning now as we're basically officially past the the kind of federal forbearance program right. is, you know, what's going to happen with foreclosures? Is that the kind of silver bullet? Is it the tsunami that's going to uh, topple the market in terms of, of forbearance and foreclosure and inventory coming onto the market the way that it did last time. I know that I've tended to be more skeptical (laughs) when it comes to a a new wave of, of potential foreclosures, but what is, what does the data say? Because you're looking at this MBA forbearance reports as the program gets closed out pretty closely and, and the numbers seem fairly encouraging, right? It, it does. It does. I mean, we have been talking about this and I think we've warned you or, or I should say the use the word warned. I think we have uh, let you guys know that, you know, we're not going to see a flood of foreclosure. And part of the reason is because when we look at forbearance, the forbearance program, the mortgage forbearances, um, the number actually has been declining right now. Yeah. You know, the, the weekly number released by MBA suggests that the uh, percent of um, loans and forbearance is 3.08%, the latest statistics. Now, what exactly is 3.08%? We did some, you know, numbers uh, crunching before. I think uh, both of both you and I did. I think uh, uh, that number is equate to somewhere around at the national level, 1.5, 1.6 million. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, if you look at it from the sta- standpoint of California, California in terms of sales usually represents close to about 10% or so. So we're right. talking about 160,000. And these are not all going to be foreclosed. Right. I mean, only a small portion of it, because now for one thing, you know, we have talked about this before. Usually the properties that have negative negative equity tend to be foreclosed a little bit sooner compared to some of the others. Right. And that number is actually very, very small, less than 1%. 
Right. So, you so know, go figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody's got equity at this point. That's the the kind of flip side of all of this kind of outsized price appreciation that we've enjoyed for for so long, right? But but if you look at like even just the the forbearance numbers themselves, they used to be at like eight and a half percent going back to right. the beginning of the right. of the program. Now they're down at three percent. So less than half the people who you know started off missing payments or asked to be able to miss payments um, are already not doing it. But when you look at how they get out, it's it's really encouraging. So just to give you a sense, we looked at all the different uh, reasons why people get out of forbearance, and I did this analysis back at the end of July, uh, mm-hmm. and then we have since updated it at the uh, at the midpoint here of September where we are now. But what's interesting is you know, a big chunk of folks either never missed payments. It was about 28% of folks never missed any payments at all. Some missed some payments, about 13%, but then already paid them back as a full lump sum. So they, you know, some of that 8% of folks, you know, maybe missed some payments, saved up, paid it all back already. We had 1% of folks actually add it to their current payment. So they amortize it over a five-year period. We did some math on that. That's about a 10% increase in your monthly mortgage payment, assuming you missed about a year's worth of payments over a five-year period of time. And you can get those uh, back on track. But you also had some folks who had either uh, a loan modification, which is about 8% of folks, or another 8% have actually paid those loans off in full And then you have another 26% who just took any missing amounts and added them to the end of the loan. So when you, you know, those to me, all of those represent fairly minimal amounts of systemic risk to the economy, Mm -hmm. right? If you just end up paying uh, till 2050. Two instead of 2051 <laughs> on your mortgage, right? Then, then to me, that seems uh, relatively doable, assuming that the economy gets back on track, et cetera, et cetera. That's true. But actually, at the end of July, it was only 23% of folks who had gotten into forbearance and then left had no plan on how to get out of it. And when we updated that just this week on the basis of the numbers through uh, that first week of September, that number's actually fallen now to 22%, right? And so, so it's actually staying incredibly stable as they as they close out the program. That means that one out of five of the remaining 3% of the original 8% of folks yeah. in forbearance are, are, you know, the ones that we got to worry about, right? And if you if you do the, the math on that for California, we're talking about, you know, numbers that are in the tens of thousands of just at risk. Uh, folks, right? And again, as you mentioned, not all of those at-risk individuals that number in the tens, not the hundreds of thousands, not all those folks are going to foreclose. Some folks have equity, right? Some are still going to get workouts with their with their banks. And, and a lot of folks can just sell. That's the, the big thing, right? You don't throw the keys back to the bank on a house that's that's worth a lot more than what you paid for it when you've got a lot of buyers out there ready to take it off your hands. And so I think when you put that together with the kind of financial characteristics that undergirded this cycle, right? We didn't give out all kinds of crazy ninja loans. People had to have incredibly good credit. They had to put money down this time, right? And so again, that all tends to limit the amount of systemic risk and and that kind of strategic incentive for folks to want to foreclose on those homes. 
I think, you know, the, both the lender side as well as the borrower side, you know, right. they have been a little bit more careful this time as compared to 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. Um, obviously, we don't want anything like what happened 15 years ago to happen again or, you know, 12, 13 years ago to happen again. And that's why, you know, things uh, have been a little bit more, uh, people have been more careful. Now, of course, if what we have talked about just now, um, of course, it, it does require you know, a little bit of assumptions, some sure. calculation. So let's take a look at some of the actual number from foreclosures. Yeah, because they're just they're, we're just not on the same orders of magnitude. And I think that's, you know, we can get into all the technical nuance of how people are getting in and out of their mortgages and stuff like that. But I think it's important to just take that zoomed out view that, you know, we just the numbers are nowhere near what they were right. in terms of delinquencies and all of that stuff that they were last time around because of those underlying factors that we just discussed. But tell them how low the foreclosure rate is. Yeah, actually, you know, there's a report just came out today or, you know, a day or two ago uh, from CoreLogic, and they reported that reported that the foreclosure rate actually dropped to the lowest in over two decades since yeah. 1999. And that uh, that number actually has dropped down to 0.2% uh, in June, 0.2% of or mortgages. That's actually very, very low. Now, of course, that's actually uh, a, a national number right. As the state number. It might be a little bit higher, Slightly but it's higher, still maybe. a very, very low number. Yeah. 0.2% is 0. 0.002. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a very low number. Um, now, uh, that, of course, I mean, not necessarily ex- uh, include some of the forbearance, but as we just mentioned, forbearance number is a very small number as well. So, you know, all in all, I, you know, if you look at the foreclosure number and if you look at some of the delinquency number, uh, the delinquency number, which will eventually lead to some foreclosures, also is not a very big number. In fact, I think, you know, the delinquency, num- the delinquency number actually is uh, about 4.4%. Yep. But many of those are going to pay off the serious, serious delinquency drop down to, you know, about 3%. Yep. Um, it's, it's actually a, a decrease compared to a year ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And in California here too, we were at, you know, serious delinquencies were almost 4% of the market. Now they're 2.7% of the market. We're on three quarters in a row of consecutive improvement from where we were last, last summer. Right. And so, um, you know, folks are already getting back on track. This wasn't a a kind of housing fundamentals driven crisis. Mm -hmm. This was an external shock that was happening to what was, you know, otherwise a relatively healthy economy where we have, you know, too many buyers and not enough supply. And the nature of this crisis just generated even more demand (laughs) for housing. And so it really just uh, exacerbated the price growth, which means that you have even more folks out there uh, with home equity, right? And again, I think that's, that's the bottom line is that when you own something that's worth more than you paid for it, you know, you don't throw it throw it away and and you see that across the the board right and 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 so we're we're just again nowhere near where we were even last year let alone where we were back in 2007 8 9 just in terms of folks struggling to stay current on their mortgages yeah again i mean as you mentioned you know uh, it's not nothing is normal now but still you know i think we are uh, uh you know borrowers and lenders are you know more ca- cautious but at the same time you know it all also comes down to the economy and we look at the economy it's actually doing a little bit better now before right. we talk a little bit more about the economy i mean let's talk a little bit more about the housing market cuz the um now the latest tax reform might yeah. have some or proposal on the tax reform i should say might have some impact on the housing market Definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I, I well, or not. I mean, this is kind or of not. one of the or not. <laughs> right, right. And and this is one of the the areas that we've been watching, right? Because we knew that there was going to be some kind of um, signature tax stuff coming down the pike, obviously in in DC, and and you know we're always very concerned about how that's going to affect housing, how it's going to affect the housing market, home ownership, realtors doing business, um, and and you know everything therein. And, and some of the key provisions that we always watch out for are, are largely unaffected by the current yeah. proposals that are being circulated, right? So 1031 like-kind exchanges, which some of your clients that are, are investors, right, either own residential or commercial properties, um, you know, likely use in the, in the course of doing that business is, is not proposed to have any changes. And the same thing for stepped up basis, right? So there was mm-hmm. initially a lot of conversations that there was gonna be some changes to uh, stepped up basis when folks inherit property, when they inherit businesses, et cetera, that, that could have uh, you know, had huge tax implications. They also had you know, some provisions that they um, potentially were gonna convert for high income earners, right? to to capital gains right or that that right. your capital gains will get converted over to high income and so yeah that i mean that is still on the radar i mean we of course what we just discussed are just you know proposal you know they sure. i'm sure there will be uh, iterations of different versions that they're going to go through but you know knowing that 1031 and step up basis will stay unchanged that's good news or at least that's what you know that that's what they're proposing um, but yeah, there will be some changes on, you know, high income earners. Um, we have been doing some analysis on it and we will continue to do so. But, you know, sometimes it's a little, it's a little hard because it's a moving target sometimes. Right. They yeah. haven't figured out the exact. Um, but, uh, you know, as we know more and more about it, you know, we definitely will report back. Um, right. There are also some provisions about, you know, assistance on uh, first generation home buyers. Um, it looks like that's a positive uh, for the housing market, but again, right. I, don't, I don't think they figure out the exact detail yet. So I think we will have to wait. Yeah, a little bit. We're we're still waiting to get the details, but the the good news is that the the negatives don't appear to be too negative from the standpoint of housing or realtors, and and the positives do seem to be uh, encouraging, right? Mm-hmm, for both mm-hmm. in the sense of helping. Um, you know, build intergenerational wealth, first time buyers, first generation buyers, down payments right, right. and things like that, uh, you know, and and also for supply. And it seems like finally at the federal level, they might be taking an interest in in housing supply. It doesn't seem like we're going to get our, our salt deductions back, or at least I haven't heard anything about that yet, but we're still hopeful because that had a huge impact on, I know. on folks who, you know, especially with prices where they are, folks are paying a lot of property tax out there and bumping into those caps fairly fairly easily now so we'll continue to monitor that and as we learn more we will make sure that you uh stay apprised of of all those changes because it looks like they're trying to do something this month and so, right, so before we the end of this month make sure that we do that that analysis yeah and hopefully we'll, i mean we'll, i mean by next time when we uh do our podcast we will probably have a little bit more detail and if we do that if we have more detail we'll definitely report back maybe in our next podcast Definitely. What about macro stuff? Because, you know, on on the one hand, we had, you know, some positive macro news Uh with jobs going up in August here in California. We had a great number for consumers. Right. But then we also had some kind of mixed signals on the consumer confidence side. 
Yeah, well, you know, let's talk about some good news first. Uh, we'll wrap it up with a little bit of consumer confidence a little in a, in a minute. But the uh, you're, you're right, you know, the, the retail sales report just, that just came out seems a little bit more positive than I would have expected, uh, which is great news. You know, retail sales actually went up by 0.7% in August compared to July. Now, you would think, well, COVID situation, you know, things uh, uh, probably number of cases have gone up. You know, uh, we may have retail sales uh, going down in August. But, you know, uh, a little surprise to us, uh, there is a lot of gain. Uh, yeah. And the retail side, um, even when we exclude auto, auto has been actually declining for the last, I think, last month or two months or so. Right. Auto went down by about 3.6%. But if you take out auto sales, it actually, you know, sales actually went up by 1.8%. Right. Which is pretty strong. And so. And, and, and. People are spending. People are spending. And. Yes, people may not be going to restaurants in the last month or so because that number actually has been, you know, stalling in, in August. Yeah. But one thing that you mentioned is the normal. I mean, we have to admit kids are going back to school. There is right. a little bit of normality. We don't don't forget we 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 do have back to school sales. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's 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 just another sign that that kind of seasonal pattern is starting to reassert itself, even with structural change, though, right? Because again, online sales continues to to punch above its weight True. in terms of of overall growth. And so, even as we kind of go back to normal, there is a kind of lingering element of of lasting impacts. I think that that will be with us for a while. But you know, if you look at at kind of where we are relative to even where we were before the crisis, it's like consumer spending hasn't really skipped a beat. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at, we're talking about a double digit increase, not just double in, uh, digit increase from last year, but when you compare to the pre-pandemic level in January, 2020, we were about 17.4% higher. That's right. pretty impressive. Exactly, especially in the context of an economy that's you know improved a lot, but still has a lot of healing left to go. Like I know here in California, even after that good jobs report in August, we still have about a million jobs or more to go. And and I think when the pandemic unemployment ended, we still had about two million folks on the unemployment rolls Very here true. in California. And so you know you have a lot of government programs expiring. You have a lot of folks still haven't gotten back to work. And I think that just makes these retail sales numbers all the more impressive, right? Is that that spending continues to do so well, despite some of those headwinds and challenges and money going away from Uncle Sam, et cetera, et cetera. True. And that might be why, you know, this consumer may feel a little bit uh, not as confident as before. Right. Um, and the latest number that we got from the consumer confidence shows that it actually dropped to the lowest level in uh, six months. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the, they you know, usually consumer confidence, they look at present, uh, the, uh, the present situation as well as the expectation index. Right. And what do you think those, about the future? Numbers, right, right. Both of those numbers seem to have dropped um, to uh, pretty sharply from the prior month. Right. And no, let's not forget, though, there's the kind of geopolitics aspect of, That's right. of consumer confidence, which, you know, and we had a lot of stuff with the conflicts in Afghanistan. We also had a big surge in the COVID you know, numbers. The, the public health situation deteriorated significantly in August. And I think that all kind of plays a role as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, don't forget about uh, inflation. We talked about inflation True. in the past. 
Yep. I mean, it's still stay at a high level. So rising inflation might have, you know, shocked some people when they go out and, and shop. But surprisingly, you know, after, you know, looking at the uh, consumer confidence number, uh, you would expect the uh, small businesses owners also, you would expect their confidence to, to go down. But yep. you know, the latest numbers suggest that they might have passed through that you know, feelings already. They might have said, okay, well, I'm looking, I'm going to look for it. It looks like the economy is actually going to do a little bit better. Yeah. I accept the fact that there is inflation and there's supply constraint. Let me see what I can do. And it looks like their confidence has gone up uh, by 0.4% in August, which is encouraging. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of why why are you optimistic if nobody wants to shop and people are worried about the future and your customers are are struggling and what have you. But I think, you know, it's uh, businesses take a much more forward looking kind of absolutely view right. of things. Right. And when you look at the future, we see an economy that's likely to continue to heal. Right. The We're through probably the worst of this public health crisis. We should continue to see jobs come back, incomes uh, rise. Right. And, and let's not forget businesses in some cases tend to be the beneficiaries of inflation. Right. If you can charge more for your goods and <laughs> yeah. services, then that's good for for your bottom line. And so I think that, you know, all of that kind of uh, plays into a, a a bit of optimism on this part of businesses. And, and, you know, I also think there's a timing element. If, if the business owners are surveyed slightly later in the month, after we are past the public health side of things, then, you know, then there's a lot more to be optimistic about the real wild card is the Corona stuff. And, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. once that's out of the picture, there's a lot to be, you know, enthusiastic about, I think. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, knowing that, I know we we as an econo- as economists know that okay things are going to e- economic growth wise we're going to see some positive numbers that's right. very very true. Of course, we can't really say uh, a whole lot from the small business owner's perspective. Um, I, for one, I don't own a business, but I know that they they have to look for uh, use for looking indicators as an, a guidance. Right. So you know they have to uh, you know uh, if they see past you know the challenges, I think there are a lot of positives. Yeah, and I think we see that in our our realtor survey too. Most of our True. members are small business owners, right? And they're independent right, right. contractors, and and are are kind of out there working for for their own. And you 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 know, you eat what you kill and, and all of that stuff. And, and, and they're reporting being bullish about the future. They expected more folks to, to buy homes. They expected even more, more listings. And they certainly expected prices to, to continue to go up, I think, <laughs> sure, in our, our latest survey. And so that's just one little kind of microcosm, but a relevant one of, of small business owners for us. And so I think we have probably talked everybody to death, but I think it was important because, A, we want to make sure we get folks in to those events at Reimagine because I think, you know, of course, selfishly, I believe that the forecast is going to be great, but I really think you should tune in for Oscar's econ panel because he's got some great guests and the topic just couldn't be uh, more timely. But I think it's it's important to reset that baseline, right? That we're we're seeing the market continue to normalize. We're not cooling, but you know we we need to still have a, a kind of nose to the grindstone mentality because the you know the the numbers aren't at those fifteen year highs that we've enjoyed for so long. So. What did we miss, Oscar? Anything important? I think we covered everything. Let me reiterate, you know, the uh, website for yeah. the Reimagine so that you guys can take a look. Uh, again, it's www.reimagineexpo.org. Uh, Let me spell it out. It's www.reimagineexpo.org. 
R-E-I-M-A-G-I-N-E-E-X-P-O.O-R-G. Um, so don't miss our sessions, but there are also a lot of sessions that you want to attend as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's free mostly. So we'll mm -hmm. see you there. So yeah. And as we learn more about tax reform, about the market and anything else, we will make sure that you know it too. So thank you so much for tuning in for episode 88 of the Housing Matters podcast. We'll see you on the next one. See ya.